Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to top athletes, coaches, influencers, and thinkers from around the world of strength sports. Presented by BarBend.com. Today on the Bar Bend Podcast, we have multi-time CrossFit Games athlete Tim Paulson. Tim's been competing in the sport since around 2012, and he lives and trains in upstate New York. I'm especially excited to talk to Tim about some of the changes to qualification for the 2019 CrossFit Games and how that's impacted his experiences as an athlete this year. Well, today on the Bar Bend Podcast, we have a special treat. We have CrossFit Games athlete Tim Paulson, and I'm really excited to be talking to Tim today, especially because we are in ultimate prep season for the 2019 CrossFit Games. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Excellent. Well, first off, uh, I just got to ask, you know, we're just a couple months out from the CrossFit Games when we're recording this. This podcast will be released a little bit closer to the Games. How are you feeling? What's training been like? And how is your training going to kind of change leading up to the Games? Training's been going really well. Um, my body feels great. I dealt with a little bit of a setback when I was in Iceland uh, a couple weeks ago, so was able to heal up completely from that. Took a few weeks uh, relatively easy in training just to rebuild some foundations and things like that, focus on some basics. And then we've been going uh, we've been going at it pretty hard for just about a week now, so we're basically going to train full on for just about eight weeks leading up to the Games, take a week off to kind of make sure everything's good to go and reset, and then we'll get after it. Excellent. And just to take a little step back, Tim, how long have you been competing in CrossFit? And, uh, you know, what is your CrossFit Games history been as a competitor so far? Yeah, so I started CrossFit in uh, early 2012. And I actually did my first open like a couple weeks after getting started, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and then I kind of got really serious about it later that year because I was done playing hockey. And I went to regionals for the first time in 2013. And then went every year since until they wrapped up. Um, and then I've qualified for the games 2017, 18, and then this year, 2019. Excellent. So you're officially, as of the first event in Madison this year, you're a three-time CrossFit Games athlete. Correct. And I like the number three, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty exclusive club. I, I mean, you know, there are the there are the Rebecca Voigts of the world, the Ben Smiths of the world, the Chris Spielers of the world who, you know, put up eight, nine, 10 CrossFit games appearances, but because the games are so competitive, just qualifying is, um, really a lifetime goal for a lot of athletes these days. Uh, being a three time games competitor, it's the exception now. It's not the rule anymore. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I mean, it, it kind of occasionally I have the moment where I take a step back and realize that, you know, it's, it's been, been a pretty awesome ride to be able to stay at the top of the sport for the last three years or so. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's taken a lot, but it's been a lot of fun and it's a journey that I've, I've really enjoyed. And I think that's, uh, a big piece of what's allowed me to, you know, stay at the top of my game for the last couple of years now. You know, we cover a lot of different strength sports at, at Bar Ben, and I, I'm really fortunate to talk to weightlifters, powerlifters, strongman athletes. Those are sports that have you know, longer lineages, right? We know generally how long athletes stay active in those sports over the decades. We generally know kind of what ages people peak at. Competitive CrossFit, competitive fitness, it's its still really new. I mean, it's been around for just over a decade. So we don't really have a great sense yet of how long that competition lifespan is. How long can people 
really stay at the top of their game. I think of like the Annie Thoris daughters of the world, right? Who she burst onto the scene in 2009 here a decade later, she's still at the top of her game. Um, you know, unclear how long CrossFit athletes can really stay at that elite level. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's definitely becoming harder the bigger the sport is. Obviously there's a lot bigger pool of athletes to draw from now. So obviously it's just, it's getting more competitive. So it requires a lot more, um, you know, fine tuning and intelligence on the athlete side. And I think, uh, you know, now we're starting to see these professional coaches develop who run programs that are very well founded. They focus on the big picture of fitness. So recovery, um, you know, just kind of the entire picture that goes into being an athlete. Um, and I think people starting to take that more seriously will hopefully allow athletes to stay at the top of their game for, you know, I mean, I guess I would probably look at it as maybe like an NFL career timeline, like three to five years, you know, at the highest levels of CrossFit. Um, you know, I feel like that's, it's asking a lot of your body. Um, and I mean, you know, speaking personally, I've been training competitively since 2013. So it's been about six years now. And with three years at the games, you know, I feel better than ever. I feel fitter than ever. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious how long I can hold on to this as well. So yeah, the question is very much on answer. That NFL analogy is really good. Would you liken being a, an elite CrossFit athlete to being like an NFL quarterback or like an NFL running back when it comes to the toll on your body? Uh, I would definitely, oh, I mean, they'll get hit a lot, but yeah, I mean, I guess because our training is so, you know, training at the highest level is so high impact and there's so much volume going on, you know, you're putting a lot of stress on your body and a lot of stress on your central nervous system. So I think, I mean, it's definitely tough because I played hockey for a long time, so I know what physical sports feel like. And there are definitely days where, you know, CrossFit feels like a physical sport, you know, not in the sense that I got hit so hard that I have bruises all over my body and I can't get out of bed. Um, but, you know, that, that soreness in your body, it's, you know, it's very real. Um, so I think, I mean, I would definitely say an impact player in football. So, you know, someone like a lineman or a running back, someone's getting hit a lot because, again, our bodies are dealing with a lot of stress on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you got into CrossFit after a, a hockey career. How old are you now? And, you know, if you had to guess, and, and obviously you're going to be a little biased, you know, how long do you think you can stay at that top level, taking, in, taking into account that, you know, you feel better than you probably ever have in the sport? Yeah, I mean, I'm 20, oh God, I'm 29 right now. Yeah, I'm 29 right now. I turn 30 next year. Um, and yeah, I've been competing in CrossFit since I was, I guess, you know, 22 or 23. Um, I mean, I definitely think I've got a couple of years left. I think I can go into my, you know, my early thirties. I think a lot of it just comes down to how long you're willing to prioritize this lifestyle. Um, you know, just like this, this high intensity training, this six days a week where training takes a focus and a lot of other things kind of take a backseat. Um, you know, for me, I've been able to strike a really nice balance in my, my life, you know, at home, my family life, my life, in my business and my affiliate, um, you know, in my training. So I think that balance is what's allowing me to feel better than ever. Um, along with getting smarter over the years, you know, when I was younger, I did a lot of dumber stuff, like not taking rest days and overtraining and just kind of, you know, not eating right and all those things. Um, so now I think that I've, I've really got a really good handle on the big picture of what it takes to, you know, compete at a high level and be an athlete. Um, you know, I, I definitely think I've got a couple more years in me as long as it becomes, or as long as it stays something that I love and something that I, you know, want to keep pursuing. 
Yeah, we saw this transition, or at least when I was um, really following, started following the games very closely around 2012, you started to see this transition from hobbyists competing at the games to people who were really you know, treating it as a career. They were spending not only the hours in the gym, but the hours uh, doing recovery, mobility. It became a, you know, more of a full-time focus for them to stay healthy and at that top level. And, and now I'd say we are 100% there in that most of the top athletes, you're not going to see them working, you know, 50, 60 hour work weeks outside of the gym. They're going to be focused on whether it's, you know, coaching to supplement their income, um, but really focusing their entire lives around being competitors. You know, that's something that doesn't happen immediately for people. Uh, I know it didn't happen immediately for you. So is that a lifestyle you kind of had to ease into or, you know, how, uh, how did that become a greater, greater part of your, you know, week? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, part of it is definitely like you have to go all in, like, especially now, you know, again, like you, you put it really well, like you used to be able to train as a hobby and be able to make it to the CrossFit games. Um, those days are definitely far behind us. You know, now it has to be a full-time endeavor and something that you're willing to commit all of your resources to and all of your time to, um, you know, I think, yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a big question. I'm basically asking like, okay, how has your life evolved over the past six years? There's no, there's not like a concise answer to that certainly, but, um, you know, when yeah, you, I mean, yeah, I guess the biggest thing is that, um, you know, early on I was training CrossFit as a hobby. You know, I, I was, uh, when we opened our gym, my business partner and I, we were still in grad school. So we were finishing up our master's degrees. Um, you know, we were coaching, you know, 20 plus hours a week each. So there was just an awful lot on our plate and, as the affiliate has matured and as we've brought on more staff and, you know, we have more supporting staff that are helping me with day-to-day operations and things like that. It's allowed me to take a little bit of a step back so that I can balance that, you know, training load and that recovery load um, a lot better. So I guess for me personally, just being able to, you know, dedicate more hours while still maintaining a lifestyle that I'm, you know, that I'm happy with and, you know, an income that allows me to, you know, live my life, um, you know, the way that I want to. And I think that's a really hard thing for someone just getting into the sport to do, because when you, when you don't have sponsors or when you don't have a source of income, you know, it's, it's really hard to train for three, four hours a day and then also focus on recovery and, you know, still have all that energy to dedicate to your training if you're, you know, if you're working full-time somewhere else. So it's definitely a, it's a, it's a big barrier to entry to the sport now, I would say. Yeah, it's it's almost a chicken and egg situation, right? To be at that top level, you need to go 100% and really dedicate your life to it. But in order to have, you know, the financial freedom and flexibility to do that, well, you know, things like sponsors help. Um, you know, already being an established athlete uh, who brands are willing to invest in, it, it, which comes first. And it, oftentimes I, I find it difficult to see how new people can really burst on the scene and give it that same level of dedication when they don't have those sponsorship opportunities, when they don't have that income from, you know, having the supplement sponsor, the apparel sponsor, the shoe sponsor. So um, that barrier to entry I mean, I, from my perspective, from a non-CrossFit Games athlete perspective, it's it's probably higher than ever. But curious as to you know if you think that barrier is going to change over the next few years. Um, honestly, I don't think so because athletes like the athletes who have already established themselves are only getting better, you know. And so, for an athlete to break onto the scene, they either have to be a phenomenal athlete coming from another sport, you know. Or they have to have a lifestyle that somehow allows that. So what, you know, I mean, I don't, whether that's a job that allows them to work from home or work remotely or things like that, or you have a really flexible schedule, um, it definitely requires a very specific, um, 
I mean, I guess a really specific lifestyle. And I think it's, it's only going to increase. And, you know, I think someone honestly, like you look at someone like Matt Frazier, he was able, and like Rich Froning, they were able to professionalize themselves before anybody else. And that's one of the reasons that they progressed leap. I mean, one of many reasons that they progressed leaps and bounds so much over the rest of the field is because they were professional athletes long before a lot of other people could. So they were putting in more hours. They were focusing more time on recovery. You know, they were training more. They were doing all these things long before anyone else could afford to because they were working other jobs or things like that. So, um, you know, it's definitely, and that's one of the reasons that Matt's so dominant right now is he's that much far, like further ahead of the rest of us. And we're all kind of trying to play catch up now. Okay, I, I, I got to ask, and this is skipping ahead of a few other questions I wanted to ask, but you bring up Matt Fraser. You've competed against him maybe more than almost anyone at the regional and at the games level. Um, you know, you really started making your games debut right as he was becoming the truly dominant force on the men's side of things. What are his weaknesses? I mean, you you have definitely thought about this long and hard. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Say again. I was going to say, you know, you've competed against Matt maybe more than anyone. Um, what are what are his weaknesses? Like, where do you think, uh, you know, if anyone's going to take that crown, if he, if there's any confluence of events, movements, you know, modalities, time domains, it's going to trip him up. You know, what do you think those might be? Man, I mean, at this point, again, because like he's he's such a methodical professional in the way that he goes about how he approaches the sport. Um, I mean, any weakness that shows up again, he has the resources and the time and the mentality to just hammer it away over the course of a year. So it's gone before anybody can really capitalize on it. Um, you know, I think as far as what needs to happen is the rest of us need to get so much, like we need to get better so that, that multiple guys are beating Matt in consistent events. And there's actually becoming some point differential. Um, you know, and I think that's something that we haven't really seen yet because Matt is so well-rounded that, you know, it's, it's hard to pick up points on him. You know, it's like he does poorly in one event, but he does so well in all the others. And there's only a couple guys up there beating him or close to him. Like you need to really capitalize on those. And right now, you know, I think there's not a, there's not a deep enough men's field to really see that happening. So it's going to be, it's not going to be one person necessarily beating Matt in order for Matt to be beat. It's going to be a few different people who beat him in the right order of events and outplace him in the right order of events to where the points work out such that he might not win overall. So is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. We we all need to band together to try and really agree to be better because that's not what we're doing right now. We're obviously not trying hard (laughs) enough. So we need to make a, make an agreement among all of us to just get so good that we can finally take him down. Not not to get too nerdy on this, is Matt Frazier Thanos and the Avengers have to team up in order to take him down? Is that what this is? I mean, it kind of sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's that unstoppable right now. Um, yeah. So, okay, if Matt Frazier's the, the Thanos of the CrossFit of the CrossFit world right now, at least on the men's side, uh, you know, which Avenger do you see yourself as in this ecosystem? Oh man, honestly, I have not watched enough Avengers to give myself an adequate an adequate assessment of I would just make an idiot out of myself. You've got <laughs> like, it. You've, I can't answer that question. You've got a great beard. Maybe we can go with Thor. That's always a good one. I mean, I would definitely, yeah. If I could pick one, Thor would be my go-to. That would definitely be my guy. A little bit of Viking, a lot of, you know, just generally trying to be a badass. So I would definitely go with that one. Yeah. We uh, unclear if you can wield the ax or the hammer like that, but you know, maybe that'll be an event of the games this year. Who knows? 
You never know what's going to be. Yeah, a little hammer throw. Hammer throw, that'd be fun. Axe throw or hammer throw? Like, hammer throw for distance, axe throw for, for accuracy? That, like... I do actually... I do actually have throwing axes and throwing knives. It's something I enjoy doing in the off season when it's nice out. So I, I wouldn't be terribly upset by something like that. No, that'd be great. I mean, at the at the Rogue Invitational, they had the, the they had a you know shooting was part of an event. So I mean, the axe throwing is definitely not crazier than that. It's certainly you know some would argue as as good a test of fitness, if not better. So why not? Is that what you'd petition? If you could, if you could add one event, what would you? What would it be? Oh man, one event. I mean, honestly, is like I would love to put my background as a hockey player to use. So, like, I would love to see. I mean, any kind of like, you know, I mean, I, we have things like a lot of people are going to hate on me for this, but like, you know, we've done biking, we've done all sorts of various obstacle courses, running events, you know, so they expect us to be able to ride a bike. Um, you know, I, I would love to see like some kind of like blading event, like, not necessarily full contact as much as I would love that. <laughs> I mean, like something like, you know, like, like a roller, like a, you know, like a, like in my hockey skating event or something like that. I think that would be, it'd be a lot of fun. It would be very different and it would definitely throw a lot of guys for, for a loop. Um, but I definitely don't think, you know, inline skating is not seen as, as cool as biking. So I don't think that would go over very well. You know, maybe if it was the mid nineties, it'd be even cooler than biking, but I feel like, uh, it's fallen a little out of style. I remember rollerblading was like the thing growing up, right? If you could rollerblade. Oh yeah. You were like the man. Oh yeah. No, I'll say I, I grew up on, I mean, obviously I was a hockey player, but I, mean, I grew up on roller skates. I, I barely rode a bike. I rollerbladed everywhere when I was a kid when I was growing up. I mean, careful what you wish for though. Cause if you add a skating event in there, you know, it's, it's easy to forget Matt Fraser's parents were both Olympians in figure skating. So in, I mean, in pairs, so that might, that might just give him even more of an advantage, just feeding the beast. Let's hope not. Let's, <laughs> let's really hope he didn't learn how to ice skate when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think he did, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, okay. Yeah. Getting back to getting back to the training, uh, aspect of, of prep a little bit more. Um, look, training volume, I've noticed talking to a lot of CrossFit games, athletes, it varies just incredibly wildly. We see some folks like years ago, Matt Chan, who was a little on the older side when he podiumed at the CrossFit Games. You know, he was working out for an hour a day, like four or five times a week, keeping volume pretty low. You compare that with someone these days like Jacob Hepner, who's just, I mean, he's probably working out right now and has been for the past 12 hours, right? Where does your training volume kind of fit in on that spectrum? And, you know, is that something that's changed over the years? Yeah, so honestly, I don't know how Jacob Hebner is not dead because if I trained the way he did, I would have I would have crumpled into a million pieces years ago. Um, so kudos to him. Yeah, Jacob, um, if, you're, yeah, if our, you're if you're listening to this, we, great great job not falling apart is what we're saying. Exactly. Yes, way to hold yourself together for so long. We're very, <laughs> we're very impressed, all of us. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, our programs definitely evolved over the years. So I've been with the same coach since two thousand and four. I think it is now. So, um, you know, I, I, my coach is a good friend of mine. We have a great relationship and we've kind of, you know, developed the program, you know, symbiotically together over the last couple of years. Um, and it's definitely actually, it's, uh, kind of skewed more towards the endurance side of things for sure, because endurance events are becoming so prominent and they're becoming such a big, uh, you know, aspect of CrossFit, especially in this new qualification system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say, honestly, probably 50% of my training volume every week, maybe even a little bit more, is endurance focused. So swimming, biking, running, rowing, uh, you know, ski, all that stuff. Um, but as far as, like, I guess the level of training that I do in terms of like, any given day, I'm 
leading up to the games, close to four hours over the course of two sessions, with one of those being a, you know, a 90 minute plus or minus endurance session. Um, and then the other one being a main process session of, you know, about call it two hours or so. Um, so yeah, it's definitely very endurance focused and then a lot of percentage lifting and a lot of skill work. So a lot of time really honing movement quality. Um, you know, we really don't do a ton of classic Metcons, you know, I do one a day, maybe two. Um, and we accumulate a lot of our volume through endurance style events because they're lower impact on the body. Um, and, you know, you still see a lot of those aerobic and anaerobic gains, depending on obviously what it is that day. Great. Now, when you talk about really having that endurance focus, and we have seen games events really move toward more of an endurance focus, a lot more monostructural uh, events than we saw maybe four or five years ago, I, I would guess. Um, when it comes to actual strength training, you know, you've spent six years building your strength base you know, max snatch, max clean and jerk, or at least high percentages of those uh, on the power lifts as well. You know, do you think that there's kind of a prerequisite base of strength, at least on the men's side, that CrossFit Games athletes need to have and anything above that is like just kind of gravy? Um, I mean, yeah, to an extent, like there's definitely a base level of strength because, you know, obviously the lighter a load is as a percentage of your one or max, the easier it is to move, the less energy you expend moving it, assuming you're technically proficient. So, you know, there's definitely a base level of strength there. Um, but I mean, kind of one thing that we learned, especially, you know, I would say three years ago or four years ago when I failed to qualify for the games for the last time, um, we really realized that, you know, at a regional level, especially because of the way the point structure works, you have to win events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in order to qualify, not only do you have to do consistently well, but because of the way the point system is kind of laid out now, you have to excel in at least one, if not two events over the course of a regional weekend, you know, so six events. So I think there's definitely, there's a place in CrossFit where you can't favor your strengths too much, but you definitely need to continue to develop them because you can't give up on those home run swing events. You know, it's like last year at the games for me was a prime example. I had two or three home run swing events, but I just wasn't consistent enough across the rest of that. So, you know, we're trying to train in a way that allows me to maintain those, those strengths, those really good events, and then obviously bring up the level of my not so good events as well. What are your what are your home run strengths right now? Leading up to leading in, like going into the 2019 games, you know, where do you see yourself as as top or definitely in contention for the top on those on those particular events? Um, my running feels really good right now, so I'm really excited and hoping that we see some events that are a little bit more running focused. The last couple of years at the games, the running events have been um, they've been well littered with other things that held you back. So for instance, like a run swim event or something, a run swim paddle, you know, things like that, where the run becomes such a minimal part that you can't really showcase your ability to run. Um, you know, something like last year, like push pull, it was a run, a salt bike and sled pull workout. Like that was something where I could really, you know, allow my, just my raw capacity to shine and ability to run and, you know, use a machine. Um, so that's definitely a strong suit of mine. Um, and then basically, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say anything overhead. So if we're looking at like handstand walks, handstand pushups, overhead lunges, jerks, um, you know, kind of anything in that realm is definitely a, a real strong suit of mine. Um, so I think those would be events in that style would definitely fit, um, would definitely suit me for kind of a home run swing. And obviously the heavy lifting, um, you know, kind of depends on what it is. We're all like, obviously, I'm, you know, last year, the cleaning jerk ladder, it was more about lifting heavy quickly than it was about necessarily how heavy you could lift. And actually, luckily I spent a couple of years doing this thing grid that kind of disappeared, but like that was really a lot about moving heavy loads quickly. So I'm actually, you know, proficient with quick setups and things like that. I actually hate cleaning jerking. I don't find myself very good at it. 
Um, but just so happened that because it was more about speed than it was about, you know, the actual kind of like max lift, I was able to do very well at it. Gotcha. Now this game season is, you know, we can, we can <laughs> guess as much as we want about what events we're going to see at the games. The thing that we definitely know is different than it's ever been is qualification. And, you know, when you and I last chatted, it was for a Barbend video we were doing about games predictions for this year, uh, which you can find on Barbend's YouTube channel. If anyone's curious, Tim's got some really, really cool insight there. The qualification system, I mean, it, it just is crazy this year as compared to previous years. Uh, I know it's something that created a lot of ambiguity for you and maybe not necessarily knowing that you had your spot secured until, you know, pretty late, you know, late on, um, you know, how has that, has your opinion on that evolved at all? And, and basically what did that do for your stress levels this year, for your goals this year? Um, and how does it kind of change your outlook or approach to the sport? I mean, as far as stress levels, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of developing a mentality of control the controllables and just, you know, focus on very kind of minute steps to the process at a time. So after the initial shock and awe of like, oh my God, what's happening to my life? Um, you know, we kind of reoriented, talked to my coach and spent some time really kind of, you know, soul searching and making sure I was in a good headspace going into the season. Um, so once we got that all taken care of, it was definitely a huge learning curve because, you know, these sanctioned events, it's, it's so unlike the regional format where you knew for the most part what you were getting into. You knew you were going to show up to regionals. There was going to be a lot of moderate to heavy barbells, moderate to high skill gymnastics. There was going to be six or so events, maybe one more, maybe one less. Um, you know, last year they threw in the endurance event for the first time, which is really cool to see. But now, you know, these sanctioned events have so much autonomy over their programming and kind of what goes on. You're also, as an athlete, looking at, okay, where is this event located? Geographically, what events are we likely to see that are outside of the gym? Are we going to see an ocean swim? Are we going to see a mountain run? Are we, like, you know, what's the flavor of this event going to be? Um, and, you know, how is that going to determine what events you go to? And also, how remote is the event? How likely is it that there's going to be a, a deep field, a shallow field? You know, all these things kind of go into it now. And we didn't. I didn't really understand or grasp just how important that was going to be in our selection process for the year. So as far as how we went about selecting sanctioned events this year, we selected a few early on that were probably more convenient to my current travel schedule than they were smart choices. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to change a lot um, going into next year. Now that we have the whole season laid out before us and I kind of know these things, we're going to be able to game plan my sanctioned event, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, pathway for the year a lot better. Now, for for context, for readers who might not have been following all sanctionals season yet or sanction events season, I'm not even sure the exact correct way that HQ wants us to say it. Um, you know, which events did you compete in? How did those you know work out for you? I know you ran into a setback in Iceland, so maybe you can chat a little bit more about your experiences at the events you competed in this year. Yeah, so I actually, uh, I did Waterpalooza was my first one, and I did that on a team, um, kind of just as an experiment, and I had a couple good teammates that I was really excited to compete with, so kind of did that for fun. Um, hindsight of being 2020, I should have done that as an individual, because I was top five at Waterpalooza last year, and I was top 10 the year before that, I think, um, you know, so it, and just because of how Waterpalooza kind of shook out this year, it actually would have been you know, it would have been a great event for me individually. So I, I kind of wish I did individual there. Um, but I went basically right from that. Uh, I flew right to Africa and I was hosting a training camp there. So I went and hosted my training camp um, for a long weekend and then went down to Cape Town and competed there. Uh, I came in fifth or sixth. 
I actually forget. Um, but you know, that was a, it was a really hard event for me because there was a lot of out of the gym style fitness. We had an ocean swim, we had a mountain run, we had an, uh, like a, a full Ninja warrior style obstacle course. And those are like three things that historically I struggle with. So we didn't really know that going into, but we selected an event that basically like, you know, some of the events couldn't have been worse for me. Um, and then after that, I, I did the open and then I had planned on doing Iceland. I had planned on doing the Netherlands and I had planned on doing the French throwdown, um, all as a means of qualifying after the open, if the open go to plan and the open ended up shaking out, um, you know, and I got my invite through there while I was in Iceland. So yeah, I, I got lucky because I had to pull out of Iceland due to injury and I was basically just getting healthy enough to train normally again when lowland throwdown happened. So if I had not qualified through the open, I would have been going to the Netherlands on very minimal training, uh, you know, just because I had taken some time off to heal my back. Gotcha. So what exactly, I mean, if you don't mind, I know it wasn't a, a great experience what, what happened, but uh, give us the rundown of, you know, what happened with your back in Iceland, you know, how you felt kind of leading up to the event, what the event was and, and what kind of went down there. Yes. I mean, I've been, I've had S, like SSI joint issues over the years, like just a hip imbalance. It's something that's pretty common with athletes to struggle with. Um, so it's, it's taken me out of training a little bit here or there for a couple of days at a time. You know, I've had some issues, a little more severe, some less. Um, and that's basically what it was is it was just, uh, you know, my hips got really out of whack and then the series of events that came up in Iceland just couldn't have been worse for, for my, my back issue. Um, so Sunday morning we started off with a handstand pushup. Uh, pistol heavy overhead squat event and that really like pistols definitely kind of fire up my back so that combined with the overhead squat put a lot of stress on my hip flexors and my low back and it was just it was in really rough shape and then the event right after that about an hour later was a full-on sprint with some deadlifts and they were heavy enough that you know you were trying to cycle a heavy deadlift quicker than you really would have liked to um and i got one round into the workout and then uh, it was a quick little three rounder, and on the second set of deadlifts, I stood one of them up, and I felt my back go, and that was it. Um, you know, couldn't couldn't really move, couldn't really walk. It was just a, a spasm that was so so epic in a not good way um, that yeah, I was basically out of commission for the next kind of like you know 24 hours. Had a lot of trouble moving, and then uh, my wife's a physical therapist, so she was able to work on me when we were there, and I was able to get myself back to a, a livable condition over the next you know couple of days. Um, but yeah, so that was about it. Just a, a back spasm of epic proportions. That's a, that's gotta have been a bittersweet experience. Cause you know, you basically at the same time as you experience that injury, that aggravation of something you'd experienced before you find out that you do qualify for the games out of the open. So it's like, that's, that's, that's a mixed bag. Certainly. Yeah, it was that. I mean, it was, uh, it couldn't have, I mean, things couldn't have timed out better because it made the decision to withdraw from the competition a little bit easier on me mentally because, as hurt as I was, if a game spot on the line was on the line for me, I probably would have done something really stupid. Yeah. Like I, I would have tried to continue to compete and, you know, I, I might have seriously, you know, put myself further in the hole and like really hurt myself. So, um, you know, luckily I, I had found out, I think it was Thursday morning, the leaderboard became final. So I woke up and looked at my phone and went, holy crap. And like this little scenario that I never thought was going to happen actually happened and I ended up getting my invite through the open. So, um, you know, it was definitely a, a happy, um, a very happy set of circumstances in a, what could have been a very rough set of circumstances. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a mixed bag. I, I got to ask. So, uh, I believe that, uh, the competition in Iceland, it, 
it started with a mountain run, right? You went, you ran up Asia. Is that, was that correct? Oh yeah. How did you find, so I actually did that back in 2013, uh, with Katrin David's daughter when I was visiting Iceland for the first time and went with her and I was the only, it was me, a buddy of mine named Bo and then the rest who was, who was pretty fit. I mean, he was, he was a, a regionals level competitor. Uh, I certainly was not. And then there were like 10 other people and they were all games athletes, either team or individual mm-hmm. running up the mountain. So as you might predict, I finished dead last. Um, but it was still one of the coolest things I'd ever done running up this like gorgeous mountain um you know tell me about your experiences there i mean it was honestly it was a really cool event like it was you know i, I love out of the gym tests and i love unique tests like that so as much as i didn't do well um you know it as an event it was a lot of you know it was a lot of fun um you know at the time i definitely it was also an event that i underestimated uh severely um, because I, you know, everyone, they kept calling it a mountain run, a mountain run. And I'm like, all right, like run, cool. You got to run. And <laughs> like f- five minutes into the run, I was like, you have made a very big mistake. Um, so I, I definitely came at that, like it was going to be a run and it was much more of a power hike with some jogging. Um, so, you know, hindsight 2020, I wish I'd approached it differently. And I think I could have done a lot better. Um, cause I definitely, I blew up really hard. I mean, 10 minutes into that, I was, you know, my hips had exploded. My low back was on fire and it was just a, yeah, it was a very poorly executed event on my part. I I remember the, the, when I did it, I mean, I knew I was outclassed, right? Like literally just me and these games athletes and like one other individual who was much fitter, who was, he was actually a triathlete at the time. So it was like games athletes, triathlete, me, and I remember them just pointing to the top of the mountain and being like, well, you you run pretty much all the way up. And I kept up with the pack for like three and a half minutes before I was just like so winded I was doubled over. And, you know, you're like a tenth of the way up at that point. I mean, this is like a I, – I don't know how long it took you, but this is like, you know, a 29 to 30 minute plus just like get up, scramble, run, jog as as fast as you can. Oh, yeah. And it was, yeah, I think it took a, it ended up taking, I think I was like low thirties, maybe uh, low to mid thirties, something like that. Um, and yeah, definitely. I just, yeah, I severely underestimated that. And as, for as much as I like, my wife and I love to go hiking. So we go up to the Adirondacks and upstate New York all the time. So I know what hiking steep mountains look like and I should have, I should have known better, but <laughs> I let my competition, uh, my competition ego get the best of me. I mean, it's it's also I I thought it's a pretty cool insight too. You talk about training outside the gym. I mean, every country or every location has its advantages, right? Like you are, you know, you're in New York State. You can there's lots of great hiking in New York State. I live in New York City, so I don't take advantage of it as much as I should. There's like a ton of natural beauty in New York. Um, same goes for Iceland, and it really when you get out there and you you see training like running up this mountain, which is like a very common thing for athletes in Reykjavik, like they do it a lot. You really get a sense for how athleticism is baked into the culture there, in a sense, and it's not super surprising why CrossFit is just completely taken off and like is all over Iceland. Oh yeah, well, without a doubt, and like that's you know, I mean. You know, I mean, obviously everything's a, a, you know, an acquired skill. So the more you run a mountain, the more you know what it feels like, and the more your body's become accustomed to it. And, you know, my buddy Lucas and I were joking, we're like, we should, we need to run more mountains because if we ran more <laughs> mountains, we'd probably get much fitter in a lot of other ways too. There's no way it could be bad for us. 
you know, and like that's definitely it's a tough thing because you know the Adirondacks are four or five hours away from us, and in Ithaca where I live, there's a lot of like kind of rolling hills and trails and stuff like that. So I do a, I do a good amount of trail running and kind of you know things like that, but very different than running a mountain. Very very different. Can't emphasize that enough. And it's not something you can like replicate in the gym. You know what I mean? You can't like tilt up a treadmill and then put like random obstacles and rocks on it. You know what I mean? You have like, there is no substitute for, for doing it. And the thing about mountain running too, is as you continue, like the air gets gradually thinner and it might not be like a ton of elevation, but you start, you start to feel it after a few thousand feet, you know, if you're really pushing yourself. So like, it's a tough thing to replicate, but, uh, um, you know, definitely something that, uh, I underestimated. I'm glad it actually makes me feel better that you underestimated it too. I don't feel so stupid um, <laughs> <laughs> as like a as like a hobbyist athlete. Um, so you know, beyond that, what are some of the other events that you saw at the at the sanctioned competitions and just in general? You know, how was your experience? Because um, this is the first year we really saw those sanctioned competitions as sanctioned competitions, right? Like you know, the Dubai. Uh, the Dubai fitness competition has been around for a while. Wadapalooza has been around for a long time. Obviously, like, you know, athletes have had those experiences before, but this year they are sanctioned. They are qualifiers for the games. More is on the line. You know, as a competitor in those, what was your, you know, general takeaway? It could be everything from the the standards of judging to, you know, your experience in like the recovery services and hospitality provided. You know, what was your sense there? I mean, honestly, on the whole, all the sanctioned events that I went to were ran beautifully. Um, you know, Fittest in Cape Town was great. Wadapalooza, obviously, is a stunning event. Reykjavik, uh, you know, Andy and Frederick and their team did an amazing job. So all the sanctioned events I went to, I was really impressed with, both from a programming standpoint and athlete services standpoint, um, you know, and just a general execution and timeliness. Uh, you know, all that was pretty incredible. Um, you know, so and I think it's also in the long run, I've come to the I've come to the conclusion that this will be good for the sport, um, but I think it's really important that some things are hammered out and there's some level of consistency put across. And you know, a a governing body of sorts needs to be you know kind of established to just lay some things out, lay some out some ground rules for for all of us. Um, and, you know, hope like I think the hope from a lot of athletes is that. CrossFit headquarters would do that. Um, you know, they would have a committee who kind of had a little bit of a hand in these sanctioned events, albeit a, a you know a light one. Um, but it doesn't seem like CrossFit is very interested in playing that role. So someone's going to have to, um, you know, because I think as it stands right now, 28 events over like a seven month season um, happening basically back to back weekends. You know, it's it's a lot, and there's a there needs to be some you know, some level of regulation around the qualifying process and things like that. But, you know, that's a, that's a very lengthy conversation we could get into if you wanted to. (laughs) Well, what are some of the, you know, on the, uh, the spark notes version of that, what are some of the big questions that you feel are, you know, maybe not adequately or not fully answered right now that you as a competitor want some more clarity on? Um, I think the biggest thing is the qualification process for sanctionals. Um, you know, as a, as an athlete, like I'm, I'm lucky to have, you know, a good degree of credibility behind me as far as games appearances, regional appearances. Um, you know, I've, I've made a, a pretty solid name for myself. So getting into these events, you know, the ones that do invites, you know, for the most part, I'm able to, to get an invite, you know, if I were to want to go that route. Um, but you know, a lot of events do qualifier only. So you end up, you know, having to do this endless series of qualifiers and, that just creates a lot of it creates a lot of problems as far as actually training and you know having time to get better and peak and prep for these events. 
Um, so I think that's, that's the biggest thing in my mind. That's, that's kind of a problem. Um, you know, and I think the other thing is at some point the system needs to be weighted for the depth of the field that you see at a, at a sanctioned event. So, you know, you look at something like Wadapalooza or Dubai where there's 10, 15, 20 individual games athletes in the field. And then other events where there's maybe one, Hmm. you know, and like a win, a win is a win. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is whether or not you win, you know? So I think there needs to be some level of standardization, whether that comes in the form of like these events that, you know, whether we have first and second tier events where a first tier event, the top three qualifies. So something like Guadalupe or Dubai, where you know, there's a very deep field and like the person who comes in third could easily win 25 of the other 28 sanctioned events, but they chose to go here. You know, so I think something like that is going to become important, uh, you know, kind of as this, uh, this sanctional season really develops. Gotcha. Well, the last question I have for you, Tim, um, you know, before I just kind of open it up is, uh, you know, we talked about last time we chatted was, you know, months ago, it was CrossFit Games predictions. I think we were chatting back in March about that. You know, now we, we, we know the field much better than we did back then. Um, you know, the open is over. I think we chatted during the middle of the open, um, you know, who are your, especially on the men's side, since obviously that's that's your field uh, and that's who you're competing against, who do you think is looking really strong? Obviously, we talked about Matt Fraser a little earlier in this conversation. Uh, you know, have how are your predictions kind of uh, rolling out as far as, you know, who you see really vying for those podium spots in Madison? Um, I mean, honestly, I think there's actually, the men's field is going to be very deep and competitive this year. You know, a lot of the guys who did well at the games last year managed to make it back and there's, um, you know, so I think there's, there's going to be a, a solid deep field of men this year. Um, you know, I mean the guys that I kind of know and I, you know, communicate with, like, you know, I think Pat Vellner is, he's done school now. So he's like, he's going to be able to train full time kind of uninhibited for the games, which is something I, you know, he hasn't really been able to do in the past. So, um, wait, so you, I think that's going to be, we've been seeing a limited Pat Vellner. We're going to see full Pat Vellner this year. I think so. And that, you know, that could be kind of scary That's dangerous um, for, for everybody. Um, yes. I mean, I think he's definitely a threat. And then, I mean, you know, a lot of the other guys, I mean, honestly, I think it really, you know, you, like over the course of the games weekend, you see guys have good events, have bad events. There, there, there are only a handful of guys who are very consistent, you know, who are like top 10 across the board, a couple good finishes here and there. Um, you know, so I think with this elimination style tournament, that seems to be happening or that's what everyone thinks is going to happen. Um, it, you know, a lot of it depends on the programming and kind of a series of events. You know, if, if you have one trip up early on, you might not even make it to day two or day three or day four, you know? So you could have someone who's really fit who, you know, could possibly podium or come top 10 in a quote unquote normal games year who in this new format, because of one slip up, they end up getting, you know, cut early. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the programming looks like over the first day or two to establish that, you know, that tighter field kind of towards the end of the weekend. Yeah, and definitely. And as of this conversation, when we're talking right now, still, you know, two months, uh, a month and a half, two months out, um, you know, still a lot of ambiguity and and questions to be answered regarding what those cutoffs look like, the criteria for those and, and you know, how athletes are going to be measured probably in more of a head to head fashion than they ever have before. So I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know for sure you will be too. Um, so Tim, I really appreciate you joining uh, the podcast today. It's always fantastic to chat with you. I've been a big fan of yours. Um, you know, since I first saw you at regionals, uh, I, th- I think your first regionals was 2013. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, so I saw I was uh yeah, I saw you at that regional. I think that was the first regionals I ever went to. Um so it's been fun to follow your career since then, but you know, where can people uh keep up to date with what you've got going on with your training and uh with your games prep and and you know, if they're listening to this podcast after the 2019 games, you know, your continued career in the sport. Yeah, so I mean, my Instagram is the biggest one. Um I have a Facebook as well, but my Instagram is T-Rex Paulson, T R E X and then my last name. Um and that's where I post, I try and basically give as honest a feed as I can on my training and what, a you know, what a real day in the life kind of looks like, you know? So I post basically all of my training from start to finish, um, pretty much every day, my recovery, all that stuff, just to really kind of give people a, you know, an honest glance on what it looks like to, to try and train for the games and try and stay at this high level for, you know, hopefully many, many years. Um, so yeah, it's definitely the best place to follow along. Um, and then, like I said, I have a Facebook as well, Tim Paulson, but, I only post mostly personal stuff there. So unless you're interested in photos of cool stuff when I travel and my family and my dog, then that may not be the best spot. (laughs) And you can see a lot of those on Instagram too. (laughs) Oh yeah. 100%. You can definitely see plenty of my dog and my family on Instagram too, but mostly training. The, the only, the only thing fitter than Tim Paulson might be Tim Paulson's dog. That's, that's what I, no, she's awesome. That's (laughs) what I've learned here. Oh yeah, no, she's, she's a five-year-old healer. She's got more energy than I ever could. So she definitely outruns me. She goes and runs with me. We take her hiking all the time. So yeah, she could probably beat me in, I'd say at least a handful of events, games. She, she would have done the Icelandic mountain run in about 20 minutes flat is my guess. Exactly. She definitely would have beat me up there for sure. <laughs> as long as she was incentivized. Um, exactly. <laughs> Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining. Um, you know, we're really, really excited to see how you do this year and beyond. And um, as always, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us and um, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me.